listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcom, and this is an episode of Three Things, where I share with you three things that I'm thinking about. And if you've been watching the last few episodes, because we're in Christmas tide and Advent tide, I'm thinking about Christmas kind of things, um, nativity kind of things, and really some myths surrounding uh, the stories that we often hear or read, return to at Advent time, at Christmas time. All right, so I'm going to share with you three things. I'm going to talk about the manger, share with you something maybe you hadn't thought about, Herod the Great. And then the sort of chronology or timeline of some of the events of Jesus' birth, because we often conflate these. So let's start with the manger. Uh, If we go to Luke chapter 2, and by the way, if you're watching, you have a little bit of an advantage. I'm going to show a number of web pages here. Um, But if you're listening, that's just fine too. So Luke chapter 2, verse 7, the NIV, I got the Greek up here, but the NIV says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed them in a manger, Fatne, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, we talked about in one of the previous episodes that guest room was katalguma. We talked about the fact that Jesus wasn't born in a cave. He wasn't turned away from an inn. Joseph and Mary weren't turned, turned away from an inn. That what they were turned away from was the katalguma. That's the upstairs room in the family house. Okay, And that means that they stayed in the downstairs room the lower level, the first level of the family house. And as we know from uh, ancient research and whatnot, we know that people who had animals would often bring the animals in, sheep, goats, whatever, cows at night so they weren't be stolen or harmed by other animals or by people perhaps. So they bring them in to keep them safe. And that's why there is a trough, a manger, in the story. That word fatne, we've sort of sanitized it to mean manger, was really a feeding trough. Now, I hadn't really thought about this until recently, but we often see the manger as a sort of wooden thing. And in fact, to my left is a Christmas tree here, and we have an ornament with a wooden manger on it. Um, But if the intent of the manger was to hold water, Uh, Obviously, a wooden one probably isn't going to do too good of a job. If it's to hold hay, then a wooden one would suffice. But um, I have come to learn recently, after 43 years and lots of Bible study, that the manger may well have been stone. Um, This is just one example. I googled it. This guy named Dr. John Delancey gives tours in Israel. This is biblicalisraeltours.com. Uh, but he's got a number of pictures on here. You could find this in other articles and books and that sort of thing of ancient stone mangers, Fatme. And um, he says, throughout Israel, stone feeding troughs have been discovered by the hundreds. While we don't expect anything made of wood to be preserved, stone feeding troughs can still be seen at places like Megiddo and Bethlehem. Now, the, the stone trough could have been wooden or the, the feeding trough could have been wooden, the manger, the fatne could have been wooden, but I think there's a likelihood that it could have been stone. Now, what we don't need to do is sensationalize this. I've, I've heard the additional myth that, you know, at this time when people came to Jerusalem, they're supposed to buy animals, and uh, if 
you're supposed to buy unblemished ones and then offer them as sacrifices. And so to keep them unblemished, they would put them in a stone trough and for, for their protection. Now that's, that's sort of a, and then they'll say, well, the same as Jesus, he was an offering a sacrifice and he's laid in a stone trough for his protection. It's really sensationalizing the story. We don't need to do that. You can just say, no, historically there's a good likelihood that he was put in a stone trough, a stone manger, a stone fountain, and uh, that's it. So that's all I'm offering here. I just think it's interesting to to rethink the story with this little minor detail. So if you're leading some Christmas plays next year, nativity scenes, hey, maybe use a stone uh, fatne next time. All right, so that's the first sort of myth I want to bust up. The second one, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. And when we look at verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod, this is Herod the Great, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? That's important. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him or pay homage to him. It's probably better. When King Herod the Great heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Disturbed. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So this is very, very interesting that they come to King Herod the Great. And he's different, by the way, than just Herod Antipas, um, who's one of his sons. Herod the Great lived long before Herod Antipas. And um, Herod Antipas, so the, the Magi come to Herod, Herod the Great, and they're asking him, Where's the one Vasilevs ton on? Or Tekthis Vasilevs ton on? The one born king of the Jews. And then the next verse again, we get, O Vasilevs Herodes, King Herod. Etarachthe was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. All right, so why was he disturbed? Well, I want to share something with you from the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, and I'm going to show you a couple of his works here. Um, the first is his Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 15.373, and it says this, Now, there was one of the Essenes, whose name was Manahim, who had this testimony, that he not only conducted his life after an excellent manner, but had the foreknowledge of future events given him by God also. This man once saw Herod, that is Herod the Great, when he was a child and going to school and saluted him as king of the Jews. Okay, and then later on in a different work, this is the Wars of the Jews by Flavius Josephus, chapter 1.282. Hereupon Antony, this is Mark Antony of Cleopatra fame, Antony was moved to compassion at the change that had been made in Herod, as Herod the Great, Herod's affairs, and this both upon his calling to mind how hospitably he had been treated by Antipater, but more especially on account of Herod the Great's own virtue. So he then resolved to get him made king of the Jews, whom he had himself formerly made Tetrarch. And it says he had great regard for Herod. And so... Let's zoom back out. And what we're seeing here then in these couple works of Josephus is that early on as a child, Herod the Great had this Essene prophet named Monahim come to him and prophesy, predict that he would one day be called king of the Jews, become king of the Jews. And then later, Mark Anthony goes out of his way to help ensure that Herod is actually put in the position of king of the Jews. And so we go back to Matthew chapter 2. And we see that Herod's called King Herod and that the Magi come looking for 
the one recently born Vasilevston Yudeon, king of the Jews. That's Herod's title. And so the fact that he hears these Gentile magi uh, asking about where's the one who was just born king of the Jews, Herod's kind of freaking out. You know, he's going to defend his position with his life. And so it's no mistake that he is etarachthe in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. He is disturbed. And now all of Jerusalem with him. Right. So he's probably caused an uproar. And, you know, everyone knows when Herod the Great gets mad, there's going to be heck to pay. And uh, so later we see that Herod, again, is is so angry that by the time we get 10 verses later in, in verse 13, uh, he's ready to kill all the babies up to two years old and infants um, up to two years old in Bethlehem. So he was very disturbed, and I think this is why, because it plays on from Herod's mindset, he was called by this prophet, this prophet of God, and he was called by God to be king of the Jews from the time of his childhood, and he's finally in position of king of the Jews, and now there's a contender. This is very disturbing to him. This is why historical context is so, so, so important when we're doing biblical and theological studies, scripture study. All right, the last thing that uh, I want to bring to mind surrounding the nativity story is some of the chronology, because what happens is we tend to conflate everything in the nativity story as if like the magi are there at one time and the shepherds are there at one time and the angels are there at one time and all the stuff with Herod the Great's going on at one time. Uh, but that's not the reality. Uh, they weren't all there at one time. And so I have this um, timeline here. I do think Jesus was probably born around 4 BCE, perhaps even 6 BCE. I, I lean a little bit later maybe than 4 BCE, but I'm willing to go there if, if we have to. 6 BCE seems right to me. But this one talks about 4 BCE or 4 BCE. Um, that Jesus was born, and you can see that the angels announce his birth to shepherds who then visited Christ. So this happens in 4 BCE, and then um, you add eight days later, Jesus is circumcised as according to Jewish custom. And then 33 days um, after that, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, um, uh, they go into the Jerusalem, they go to the temple in Jerusalem, they met, meet Simeon and Anna, uh, prophets, and then they return to a house in Bethlehem. And then within a year, it's about a year after Jesus' birth, the Magi visited Herod and learned that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And then soon after that, maybe weeks, maybe months, the Magi visit uh, young Jesus. And after they visit him, they give him the gifts, and then they return to their homeland via another route. And then you add some days after that, that Herod orders the killing. He finds out he's been duped. He orders the killing of all boys up to two years old uh, and under in the region of Bethlehem, which may give us a clue that this is like almost two years out from the birth of Jesus. Um, and Mary or, or Joseph at this time is warned uh, in a dream uh, to take Mary and Jesus and go to Egypt. And uh, around that time, we are only left to assume that uh, whatever children up, boys up to two years old uh, were probably massacred in uh, Bethlehem 
historically speaking, that wasn't a lot, like numerically. Um, Bethlehem was a small town. Um, but, you know, no, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not minimizing any of those deaths. I'm just saying it wasn't like into the hundreds or thousands or probably even more than, you know, a, a dozen. Um, and then you get, uh, we're, we're probably another, you know, further, about a year out. Um, Herod dies and he's buried in the Herodian. And then Archelaus assumes the position. And then uh, sometime in 3 BC, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus hear that. They find out about that. And they leave Egypt and settle in Nazareth. So what we get from the gospel accounts probably happens over about 18 to 24 months. So about a year and a half to two years that uh, the nativity uh, story plays out. So we don't. When we, when we do our uh, church Christmas plays, we sort of have everything happening all at once, like the magi, the the shepherds, the angels, all converging at once in one location. But that's not really how it played out. Everything was way more spaced out. Um, so I just think it's good to remember this. And another thing, if you're in charge of helping with your church uh, nativity play next year, maybe uh, you can help. Um, you know, uh, set things up that way and, and follow the story in its chronological order over a year, year and a half, two years. So those are the three things that I'm thinking about. And I'm going to stop there and say, um, I hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills, but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.